Well, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Comedy Nerdcast. I'm your host, Matthew Patrick Barry, and today's episode is all about horror. Horror comedy has been around pretty much as long as both horror and comedy. Ever since Washington Irving wrung both laughs and gasps from the legend of Sleepy Hollow, writers and filmmakers have been combining the two genres in a multitude of inventive ways. And if you think about it, the two genres are pretty close cousins anyway. Telling a good ghost story is a lot like telling a good joke. It takes a certain type of skill to set it up and just as much to pay it off. And at the movies, both styles alone seek similarly visceral and voluntary reactions from their audiences. And both genres delight in making their audiences squirm for a variety of different reasons. So today, we celebrate the ghosts, the goblins, and the ghouls that tickle our funny bones as readily as they tingle our spines. So lock your doors and windows, Pop some stovetop popcorn, and for Christ's sake, don't answer your phone. Because it's time for Comedy Nerdcast Episode 13, the top 20 funniest horror comedies of all time. In <laughs> at number 20 is Scary Movie? Okay, so... Let's just agree right out of the gate that Scary Movie shouldn't really even exist because it's a completely unnecessary parody of a parody. The Scream franchise kicked off a renaissance of self-aware slasher films in the mid-90s that soon led to meta, supernatural, and monster movies. And making fun of those films is a little like publishing a newspaper that makes fun of The Onion or making a parody of Airplane. It's just, why? But this is the Wayans Brothers world, and it doesn't have to make sense as long as it's funny. And it's funny. Anna Ferris is always a reliably goofy yet sympathetic lead. The jokes that go the farthest to offend are actually the ones that land the best. And the movie squeezes in not only very knowing lampoons of Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer, but a plethora of other 90s movies and some very unexpected moments. In the end, Scary Movie isn't all that scary, and it's certainly no airplane or scream, but it delivers the goods and has a hell of a fun time doing it. Collapsing in on itself at number 19 is House 2, The Next Story. Now, that subtitle alone would have landed House 2 somewhere on our list of funniest horror comedies, but aside from that frightening, clever pun, it's also an enjoyably rambunctious haunted house story that channels good measures of Sam Raimi, Steven Spielberg, and Weird Tales comic books. Their performances have a nice lightness to them that allows the audience to buy into the wild premise of a house full of interdimensional portals and a mythology that falls someplace between Indiana Jones and the Mummy. The first movie in the series had been a fairly standard supernatural thriller with some subtle humor, 
And in its sequel, the producers realized where their strengths lie and created a whole multiverse that went for the Evil Dead crowd and created a movie that is both ludicrous and ludicrously funny. Breaking all the rules at number 18 is Gremlins. Gremlins is one of the great horror comedy hybrids, offering equal doses of both. And it's a Christmas movie to boot, so it really checks all the boxes. At least for Nightmare Before Christmas fans who need at least one other movie to tide them over from Labor Day to New Year's. Now, Gremlins isn't terribly scary, but it's not supposed to be. It's more a horror of anticipation of what's going to happen when the rules of the Mogwai are inevitably broken and the monsters from the poster show up. And when things do finally break bad, it's hilariously over-the-top violent, and even the murders committed are more slapstick than slasher. The Gremlins are like little reptilian animaniacs who serve as a sly satire of American gluttony and self-pleasure-seeking and a hedonistic appetite for destruction. Joe Dante also delivers sly spoofs of about a dozen old tropes from 30 years worth of cheesy B-movies, while also reminding us of the innocent silly fun that made us love those movies in the first place. Throw in nostalgic nods to It's a Wonderful Life and The Wizard of Oz, and the most dark and depressing Christmas story you'll ever hear, and you've got yourself a horror classic for all seasons. Delivering early at number 17 is Rosemary's Baby. Okay, so Rosemary's Baby isn't the first movie you think of when you hear the word funny. Obviously, it's the 17th, but as a dark satire on desperate men willing to sell out their wives in order to achieve superficial success, the urban paranoia inherent in sharing thin walls with the strangest of strangers, and the vulnerability of any expectant mother, and you've got a movie that makes the darkest part of you laugh and recognition, even as you're white-knuckling with worry over what's in the works for Rosemary and her titular kid. And while Mia Farrow gives a revelatory turn as the earnest hero, the gaggle of supporting actors get to ham it up as a rogues gallery of increasingly weird and wacky Satanists. Ruth Gordon, who won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for her role in particular, is a scream. And if all that weren't enough to convince you that Rosemary's Baby is one of the greatest comedies of the horror genre, there's also the brilliant conceit of using the stand-in of Satanism to stir up a savage satire of Christianity's preoccupation with appropriating women's bodies for the purposes of keeping them subservient and to ensure the breeding of male heirs. You know, just the stuff of your average classic comedy. In at number 16 is the touching story of a man and a chatty severed head. It's Reanimator. Based loosely on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, Reanimator serves up a subversive plate of pitch-black comedy that spins a ludicrous concept into an orgy of gore. And if you just read the script for Reanimator, it doesn't come off all that funny, but it's the performances by a cast with backgrounds mostly in live theater who camp it up and elevate Reanimator to the level of great dark comedy. And then there's the blood and the guts and the splatter. Reanimator offers some of horror's best death scenes and over-the-top gross-out gags, 
all done with good old-fashioned practical effects, there's a tangible quality to the movie's gore that really sticks with you. Pulling the rug out from under everything you know and hold dear at number 15 is The Cabin in the Woods. Most great horror comedies satirize their own genre to some extent, but The Cabin in the Woods turns it inside out. What starts out as a seemingly loving tribute to standard-issue scarefests turns in its second act into a scathing critique of everything we love and love to hate about even our most favorite scary films. But Cabin in the Woods doesn't just criticize the standard-issue elements of the long-worn teens-in-peril horror movies of the previous 40 years. It actually reinvents those elements and puts them to new and novel uses. Thanks to brilliant writing and a stellar cast, The Cabin in the Woods manages to actually elevate the genre that it tears apart and reconstructs right before your eyes. Staggering in at number 14 is Zombieland. Remember when zombies got so popular that that guy in Florida tried eating a guy's face on a highway overpass? Maybe that was just Florida, but into that zombie mania landscape came Zombieland, a genuinely funny riff on one of horror's most traditionally darkest and dour of subgenres. Originally conceived as a TV series, Zombieland was recrafted into a big budget road movie and gave the zombie genre a postmodern twist by populating its dystopian world with characters whose cynicisms and neuroticism were just as threatening to their survival as the flesh-eating monsters. Despite its characters' bemused attachments to the end of the world as they knew it, Zombieland also betrays a soft heart as its gang of four survivors forge a makeshift family as loving and dysfunctional as any TV sitcoms. Zombieland also incorporates an infectious love of pop culture into its story, as its characters riff and wax nostalgic for the little pleasures and diversions they've lost, as much as the loss of all humanity. The ultimate pop culture reference, of course, is one of the greatest cameos in any movie in any genre in the history of Hollywood, making Zombieland not just one of the funniest horror comedies of all time, but also just one of the funnest. Accidentally knocking you unconscious and chopping your head off at number 13 is Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. The horror comedy genre really began in earnest when the Three Stooges set a handful of their two real short subjects in Haunted Houses and The Occasional Mummy's Tomb. And no other movie has fulfilled the slapstick promise of those early crossovers like the tale of Tucker and Dale. The story of two well-meaning rednecks who become the victims of a series of wildly escalating and increasingly gory misunderstandings, Tucker and Dale has so many hilariously misconstrued moments of mayhem and accidental murder, you expect Mr. Furley to come running in to break the proceedings up. And like Cabin in the Woods, the movie brilliantly subverts the horror movie genre, this time by making the hillbillies the heroes and the clean-cut college kids both the architects of their own demises and, in the end, the true villains of the story. The cinematic equivalent of a pulpy page-turner, Tucker and Dale is a bloody, oh-so-bloody ride through myriad plot twists and a number of fiendishly clever Rube Goldberg-like deaths. And in the end, 
like the Stooges before them, the core of the comedy of Tucker and Dale is that they are forever, hopelessly, and haplessly victims of circumstance. Going through some awkward changes at number 12 is an American werewolf in London. John Landis's tale of a young backpacker's run-in with a lycanthrope on a bender and his subsequent transformation into a murderous man-beast kicks the old wolfman mythos up several notches by incorporating great use of pop music, dazzling special effects that are really still unmatched even in a world where CGI makes anything possible, and a ghoulish amount of comedy. And American Werewolf is one of the few movies, even on our best of list, that's equally funny and scary. Like, truly scary. Their werewolf rampages are legit frightening, and those transformation scenes, designed by special effects guru Rick Baker, are genuinely harrowing. But it's the comedy that lands it on our list at number 12, and as far as comedies go, it's a real howl. The dialogue is sharp and quippy, the grimness of the entire situation is played for very dark laughs that never distract from the story's inherent tragedy, and the characters are perfectly prickly and quirky. The use of pop and rock music is also put to exceptionally humorous effect, and to top it all off, it features Rick Mail from The Young Ones in a supporting role. All in all, An American Werewolf in London is simply the greatest werewolf movie ever made, and one of the 80s funniest comedies. Trapped in its own subconscious at number 11 is Get Out. This is another movie like Rosemary's Baby that doesn't traffic in the outright hilarity or even low-key gags of some of the other movies on our list, but its social satire component is out of sight. Get Out's portrayal of rich white liberals' fetishism of black culture and that fetishism's resultant appropriation is mined for maximum humor, and the extent to which that metaphor is taken is brilliantly brutal and sardonic. A nicely organic blend of not only horror and social satire, but also of low-end sci-fi and Hitchcockian suspense makes Get Out one of the funniest and truly creepiest supernatural thrillers of the modern age. Doing a little jump to the left, and then a jump to the right at number 11, it's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. From an era when discussing LBGTQ was ridiculously taboo, the Rocky Horror Picture Show arrived to teach young and old audiences alike a thing or two about sexual identity, individuality, and being honest with yourself about your earthly wants and desires. An offshoot product of the sexual revolution that had erupted in the 60s, Rocky Horror used the haunted house genre to explore themes that were frightening to middle-class America, but evidently titillating to the mass audience that made the movie a cult classic, and one of the most famous audience participation entertainments in Western civilization. Hauntingly tour-de-force performances by Tim Curry, Richard O'Brien, Barry Bostwick, Susan Sarandon, and Meatloaf work gloriously over the top, and the Broadway rock songs by co-star O'Brien left an indelible and delightfully funny impression on a generation who learned that it's okay to love yourself and 
whoever else she may be trapped overnight with in a haunted castle. Coming at you with a chainsaw where its hand should be is Evil Dead 2. It says something about the wealth of great movies in this genre that the amazingly funny and bizarrely frightening Evil Dead 2 is only number 9 on our list. In fact, here are some of the movies that didn't even make the top 20 that are all high quality. Return of the Living Dead, Idle Hands, Dracula Dead and Loving It, Love at First Bite, Adam's Family Values, Drag Me to Hell, Jekyll and Hyde Together Again, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Krampus, Bubba Hotep, The Frighteners, a number of Three Stooges shorts, Creep and Creep 2 with Mark Duplass, and Schlock. Oh, and From Dust Till Dawn. All fantastic horror comedies, but we can only do 20. So they're left, as the Crypt Keeper might say, on the cutting room floor. Evil Dead 2, though, is more than worthy of being at least in our top 10. It takes the more straight horror of the first Evil Dead and spins it into a wild and woolly web of slapstick violence, Looney Tunes chaos, and incessantly brilliant mugging from the great Bruce Campbell. And Evil Dead 2 was a real revelation when it first came out, not only because the first movie had been so much more serious-minded with little to no humor at all, but because horror comedies up to that time were obvious comedies that spoofed the horror genre or were dark satires like Rosemary's Baby. This was the first time a movie that was undeniably in the horror genre added its own style of comedy while remaining tense and scary. And its comic book ending put it right over the top. Apparating at number eight is Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Tim Burton is the master of the macabre and makes movies that, like the Addams Family, fall someplace in between true horror, comedy, and really every other genre. His movies are more goth than anything else, but Beetlejuice is the rare Burton film that can be counted among the great horror movies of the 20th century, as well as one of the great comedies. Inarguably, both a ghost story and a haunted house tale, Beetlejuice still has that unmistakable Burton wit and satirical edge, and Michael Keaton's eponymous Holy Terror is a truly scary character and makes a formidable villain while still managing to retain the dark charms of his portrayer. And even though I would actually someday really love to see a gritty film made from the original, even darker Beetlejuice screenplay, Tim Burton's take will always be the essential version and one of Hollywood's classic farces. Burying you up to your neck in the sand at number seven is Creepshow. The 1980s was a golden era for horror comedy, and Creepshow is so quintessentially 80s that it just got charged a quarter for not rewinding itself. The decade's most prominent horror directors delighted in goosing audiences with a mix of thrills, chills, and fun reminders of the more innocent yet more graphic content that they grew up with. And nowhere is that more true than in Creepshow. Paying homage to the old EC horror comics of the 1950s, Creepshow, directed by Living Dead impresario George A. Romero, written by Stephen King, and with great special effects by the legendary Tom Savini, tells a series of strange tales with creepy moral lessons that serve up equal doses of spoofy, 
goofy, doofy, and clever irony. Savini's tailoring to the artwork of old comics like the original Tales from the Crypt and his special effects, and Romero's stylizing of nearly every shot to echo those old comic panels and pages, outstandingly recreates the feeling of reading them late at night under the covers when everyone else was fast asleep. And the comedy of Creepshow not only gave life to the endlessly punny Crypt Keeper in the movie's spin-off TV series, but made it one of the most delightfully quotable scary movies for the duration of the decade. Staggering towards you in heavy prosthetics at number six is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Horror comedy wasn't a new concept when Abbott and Costello began filming 1948's Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but few had ever done it as well before them, and not a lot of people have done it as well since. Both a last hurrah for the original gaggle of Universal's classic monsters, with original actors in the roles, and a first step into big-budget filmmaking for the raucous comedy duo, the movie manages an amazingly effective mingling of big belly laughs and genuinely frightful tension. The comedy is as good as ever with Bud and Lou, and the scary moments are genuinely frightening, whether you're a little kid or maybe a little older than that. Abbott and Costello would go on themselves to star in a number of different genre-combining movies, some horror and some in other areas, but none were ever quite as successful creatively as their first endeavor into the mixing of styles. And they were so successful, in fact, at blending the two styles that they influenced the young Quentin Tarantino, who as a child loved horror and comedy, and for the first time when viewing this movie on television realized you could smash two types of movies together and make something completely new. It actually remains one of Bela Lugosi's very best performances. And 70 years later, it's still positively shocking how well the movie holds up on both ends and remains a Halloween favorite for comedy and horror nerds alike. On its way to the Winchester to have a pint, at number five, is Shaun of the Dead. The beauty of Shaun of the Dead is that the zombie story is practically secondary to the quarter-life crisis and sitcom relationship problems being endured by the main characters, and that the zombies just kind of show up to disrupt the banter and necessitate a quick life-and-death struggle before the characters can get back to their 20-something angst. Overall, though, Shaun of the Dead is just an exceedingly funny look at the urge to slack and go nowhere, and what it takes to motivate a guy to actually get off the couch and do something with his life. And in this case, that thing is the living dead. And the movie also happens to be loaded with one great comedic moment after another. There's Sean's disdainful relationship with his stepfather, Philip, played hilariously by Bill Nighy and all of their great exchanges. His roommate, Ed's love of Sean's mom, their antagonistic relationship with their third roommate, Pete, and the hilariously improvised weapons used by our gang of heroes as they battle their way through hordes of inconvenient zombies. My personal favorite scene is Sean and Ed taking the time to select which records to save before chucking the others at an oncoming brain eater. Purple Rain. No. Sign of the time. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack. Oh. There are a lot of great zombie movies, if you really think about it, both serious and otherwise. But Shaun of the Dead is in a class all its own. Dripping with ectoplasm at number four is Ghostbusters. 
Ghostbusters rewrote the book, not only for the horror-comedy hybrid genre, but for all big-budget effects-heavy action movies. No comedy had ever indulged in that level of intense ghost, demon, and monster battling, and no action movie had featured such a dense layer of quips and quirky characters, and the results were a creative reinvention for both kinds of movies, and also a box office bonanza. But for all the sliming, hot dog-loving ghouls and giant killer advertising mascots, what really counts is the comedy, and Ghostbusters has plenty. Bill Murray as the Bugs Bunny-like wise guy, Dan Aykroyd as the fast-talking diehard believer, Harold Ramis as the decidedly weird brainiac, Annie Potts as the sarcastic nerdy flirt, and also Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson are all perfectly cast and just the right amount of odd to make this bizarre story really work. And if you think about it, it is kind of a bizarre story. An updated version of movies like the Bowery Boys Spook Chasers, Ghostbusters combined sci-fi and paranormal horror and gothic mythology into a whole new kind of super blend of wonderfully silly but still kind of deadly serious comedy drama. And just as significantly as Jaws and Star Wars before it, it upped the ante on summer blockbusters. Slashing its way into your heart at number three, it's Scream. The slasher movies of the 70s and 80s had taken the horror genre from creatures and rampaging animals to a place where the monsters were decidedly more human, at least at first. But by the end of the decade, the former new wave had descended into passe stereotypes and predictable cliches. Then Scream came along and reinvigorated the genre by embracing those cliches and subverting the hell out of them. The concept of a teen slasher movie full of characters who'd been raised on teen slasher movies was brilliant enough, but it's also one hell of an intense slasher movie itself and a genuinely well-crafted whodunit. It also manages to be both witty in its self-contained and self-aware dialogue and laugh-out-loud funny in its sillier, character-driven moments. Scream not only revitalized the horror genre overall, it set a high bar that none of its imitators, or even its own sequels, have ever come close to matching. Giving you some sugar at number two is Army of Darkness. Sam Raimi is that rare class of director like Tarantino and Wes Anderson where their own unique and highly stylized aesthetic is instantly recognizable and matched by the additional stamp of their specific idiosyncrasies of storytellers. And Army of Darkness, the third and final film in Raimi's original Evil Dead trilogy, is arguably his greatest and most Raimi-esque work. Blending the ham of old Sinbad movies with the cheese of Roger Corman's Edgar Allan Poe adaptations, the movie is a non-stop barrage of ludicrous plot twists and hilarious one-liners. With the biggest budget of his career at that point, Raimi still chose to retain the charm and look of old Ray Harryhausen special effects from the 60s, while updating both their creep and comedic factors for modern audiences. And, as always, at the center of the proceedings is the amazing Bruce Campbell, as incorrigible but unstoppable demon slayer Ash. Campbell is always reliably over-the-top funny, but Army of Darkness finds him at both his coolest, badassiest, and his most hilariously unhinged. And 
carries an already great movie through the big portal in the sky into the dimension of classics. And putting on the Ritz at number one is Young Frankenstein. Mel Brooks's faithfulness to the original Universal horror movies and his lovingly painstaking reconstruction of them for the milieu of Young Frankenstein gives it the feel of real authenticity, which makes it all the funnier when its characters turn out to be such lovably loopy caricatures. And boy, is it funny. Young Frankenstein isn't just one of the best horror comedies of all time, it's just one of the best comedies of all time, period. Between one fantastic performance after another, one great bit after another, and just enough pathos to suck the viewer in emotionally, it's one of those perfect movies that you can watch a thousand times and it still feels like the first time. In fact, I'm going to go watch it right now. So, I hope you enjoyed our fiendishly fond countdown and that you have a hauntingly happy Halloween. For the Comedy Nerdcast, I'm Matthew Patrick Berry saying good night and good luck. Come, 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 comedy nerd.